Thanks for joining us again for this uh, session on the Dawkins-Lennox God Debate, or the God Delusion Debate, as it was called, uh, held in Alabama in 2007, I think it was. Um, I've subtitled this presentation uh, Three Philosophical Problems with Dawkins' Worldview. There's a lot going on in this debate, and I decided to just try and narrow down and fix on three kind of main points and how they play out in the discussion. Uh, brief introduction to our, our debaters. Um, we've already talked a little bit about Dawkins, but uh, some background may be useful. Um, Professor Richard Dawkins, a fellow of the Royal Society and of the Royal Society of Literature, uh, so-called neo-atheist. Um, he's a zoologist, indeed. Uh, emeritus Fellow of New College, Oxford, and he was the University of Oxford's first professor for the public understanding of science for a number of years. And he came to prominence um, in the popular mind uh, through various popular science books, um, going back to The Blind Watchmaker in 1986, um, Climbing Mount Improbable in 1996, um, but his um, atheism and anti-theism uh, came out more as the years went on, um, particularly in his um, best-selling polemic, The God Delusion, from 2006, which had a 10th anniversary uh, reprint uh, from 2016. It sold over 3 million copies, this book. And he recently published a book called uh, Outgrowing God, uh, aimed at a sort of um, student-age audience. If you want to uh, response uh, to that new book of his, you can get my new book, uh, Outgrowing God? Question uh, mark. Which response to that? So I say no more. Advert over. Um, professor John Lennox uh, is a professor of mathematics emeritus again at Oxford University, but he's also a fellow in mathematics and philosophy of science. Uh, he's interested in philosophy of science and also um, sort of um, bioethical uh, issues. Um, he's at Green Templeton College in Oxford. Um, his signature book is God's Undertaker, already in its second edition, and I, I see from Amazon that a, a third edition, new edition of God's Undertaker is due to come out soon. He's just about to bring out uh, a second edition of his little book on God and Stephen Hawking, whose design is it anyway, which is a really good uh, little book to, to look at, particularly on issues uh, to do with fine-tuning arguments and so on. And uh, uh, his uh, little book, uh, Can Science Explain Everything, uh, which is a, a short, very good read as well, I recommend. So, uh, just before I look at these three uh, points of focus, I, I want to raise this issue of when is a debate not a debate. Um, this so-called God delusion debate was certainly not um, the, the kind of debate that you'd see someone like William Lane Craig engaging, where there's a number of sort of backward, back and forth um, speeches uh, between the debaters. Um, Dawkins seems to have got a bit frustrated with the, 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 the format. Uh, you know, um, I'd feel happier if we could have a bit more dialogue, he says. It's supposed to be a debate. I feel intensely frustrated, he says at one point during the debate. Um, and yeah, I think the format does feel a little unfair because it's a format that they have where you know, the moderator reads out a quote to focus on some point in the book. Dawkins gets to sort of elaborate on that for a bit and then John Lennox is wheeled on to to knock it down and then they move on to the next topic 
so it, the format doesn't allow Dawkins to defend his ideas from Lennox's critique, and that's why they end up, you know, breaking the format, uh, really, in the end. Um, but you know, clearly that format was was explained by the moderator, and Dawkins would have signed up to it beforehand. He he would have known surely what he was uh, signing up to do, and uh, just got frustrated with it in practice. Um, so if he didn't want that kind of format, he, he should have said no to doing that kind of format and insisted on a different format, I, th I think. Uh, interestingly, Larry Taunton, um, who organised the, the discussion, uh, reports that before the event, Dawkins himself said, I, I don't usually do debates, and that's true, he, he doesn't usually do debates, so perhaps Dawkins misjudged his desire and or capacity to speak off the cuff uh, in this kind of situation. Anyway, here's uh, three philosophical problems with Dawkins' worldview that, I, that uh, jump out at me from, from this discussion. Uh, the first is uh, scientism, um, even verificationism. Uh, the second is um, his philosophical take on Darwinism. Not so much his Darwinism as the sort of philosophical uh, context he puts that in and use he makes of it. Uh, which ends up being, as we'll see, a, a, a sort of naturalism of the, of the gaps. He accuses belief in God as, as being a god of the gaps. And Dawkins actually, <laughs> ironically, ends up using a naturalism of the gaps. And, and thirdly, his moral subjectivism. And we'll talk a little bit about the moral argument. So here's Dawkins' scientism. He says, I regard it as a privilege to be a scientist and to be in a position to understand something of the mystery of existence, why we exist. Uh, he thinks religious explanations, you know, may have been satisfying for many centuries, but they're now superseded and outdated. Uh, I think the understanding we get from science of all those deep questions that religion once aspired to explain are, are now better and more grandly, in a more beautiful and elegant fashion, explained by science. You see, the science is going to answer all of our deep questions. Uh, well. This kind of assumes that science and religion are necessarily offering competing explanations for the world, rather than complementary explanations or addressing different questions. There's all these issues that that could be raised. Um, but for example, he says, you know, the science gives explanations that are that are more beautiful. But hang on a minute, science can't define or or measure beauty, um, a fact that doesn't mean that beauty isn't real, uh, just because science can't define or measure it, um, where does he get this this idea of the scientific explanations being more beautiful if he is trying to use science as the only way of explaining anything? as it were, saying, you know, these metaphysical religious ideas, they're all sort of superseded. Uh, as John Lennox picks up on this, he says, uh, I think it's important in this context to emphasise that science is limited, because it seems to me a creeping danger to, of equating science with rationality. Of course, science is rational, but it's not all there is to rationality, that's what he's saying. And then it says, what, what is beyond science is not necessarily irrational. So something like beauty is beyond science, but it's, that doesn't necessarily mean that you know, discussion about which novel is more beautiful <laughs> is irrational. 
so Lennox says science cannot tell us for instance whether a poem or work of literature or work of art and music is, is good or beautiful or not uh, it says science can tell us that if you put strychnine into your grandmother's tea it will kill her but science cannot tell you whether it's morally right to do so so there's uh, both aesthetics and ethics are areas where we can have rational discussion but they're not scientific discussions uh, Dawkins uh, back to the Dawkins quote that we had about you know the privilege of being a scientist um, you know all those deep questions that religion once aspired to explain are now better more grandly more beautifully and elegantly explained by science he says another issue that's not true is it that is just not true um, and so Dawkins himself in the discussion admits quote we now understand essentially how life came into being now notice that word that I've highlighted essentially uh, that what that word is telling us is that we can't completely explain it i.e. there are things that we don't know how to explain so though it sounds, you know, if you're not listening carefully, it sounds like you're saying, you know, science can now explain how life came into being. What he's actually saying is science cannot completely explain how life came into being. Uh, William Lane Craig notes that most of us, you know, in the school systems uh, were probably taught that life originated in the so-called primordial soup by chance chemical reactions, uh, perhaps fueled by lightning strikes or something like this. It says all of the old chemical origin of life scenarios have broken down and are now rejected by the scientific community. Today there are a plethora, a range of competing speculative theories with no consensus on the horizon. Indeed atheist Thomas Nagel recently said that the origin of life remains a mystery, an event to which no significant probability can be assigned on the basis of what we know of the laws of physics and chemistry. Again, Dawkins admits, he says, we, we know we are descended from a common ancestor, we don't know the details, but we understand essentially how that came about. Again, i.e. we can't completely explain it scientifically. That doesn't mean that there isn't possibly a scientific explanation to be discovered, but what I'm picking up on the fact is here he's already said that science can explain everything and that's not true. Uh, he admits there are still gaps in our understanding. We don't understand how the cosmos came into existence in the first place, but we're working on that, you know, be assured we're working on that. Well, okay, but does that guarantee that you will get a scientific, in, in terms of a sort of materialistic or naturalistic scientific explanation of those things? Um, a scientific explanation as Dawkins would understand such a thing? Um, well, no, not unless you're assuming that naturalism is true. You see, note here, note the scientific, not scientific, but scientistic assumption that every answerable question is a scientific question with a naturalistic scientific answer. Uh, this is a naturalism of the gaps. Now, we're, we're working on it, we will find it. Assumption. There's an assumption, a philosophical assumption. He's not making a scientific argument here.
uh, Dawkins says my interest in the science and biology which is what I specialize in it came more from an interest in fundamental questions uh, than from a love of watching birds or insects or you know I wanted to know why we're all here what's the meaning of life why does the universe exist why does life exist that's what drew me to science you know you should have become a philosopher um, I, I, these are philosophical questions you know what what's the meaning of life why are we all here um, giving a, a physical description of the process that led to us being here if there is such a process well that doesn't answer the question of why does that process exist giving a, a description of the the history and evolution of the universe through Big Bang cosmology doesn't explain why Big Bang cosmology is something that it applies to a real universe that actually exists why is it why is there a, a, a Big Bang you know um, secondly let's look at Dawkins's philosophical Darwinism you know, he says I went to Oxford after having lost my faith for good at about the age of 15 or 16 and that was because I discovered Darwinism and, and recognized that there was no good reason to believe in any kind of supernatural creator um, and my, my final vestige <laughs> last vestige of religious faith disappeared when I finally understood the, the Darwinian explanation for life uh, so it's kind of saying you know Darwinism is true uh, equals no good reason to believe in any kind of supernatural creator um, but that that doesn't follow really it's a logical non sequitur really uh, at most if Darwinism is true then there may be a lack of evidence for design in the outcomes of the Darwinian process itself uh, however absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence uh, his assuming that one needs good reason to be a rational theist that's certainly a questionable assumption uh, he's assuming that there are no other arguments for, th for theism that's the background assumption here uh, and as we've mentioned before there are, there are many arguments for theism and, and Dawkins certainly doesn't address all of them in his written work uh, fourthly that there, there may be evidence for design in the existence and preconditions of the Darwinian process itself and this would take us back to a discussion of the origin of life and of cosmic fine-tuning for example uh, Charles Darwin interestingly in the origin of species it seems to me that Darwin himself reversed the, the proper burden of proof concerning design we talked earlier about the you know, looking at the world and having the intuition of design and then asking you know is that intuition reliable or not is there evidence to support or undermine that initial impression uh, Darwin reverses the burden of proof here he awards the the presumption of truth to his bold but risky extrapolation from micro to macro evolution um, this extrapolation that he makes depended upon the the an unwarranted shift between saying that he saw no barrier to the extrapolation working his the observations that evolution and natural selection can explain a certain amount of change and then extrapolating and saying you know therefore it can explain everything <laughs> um, he shifts from saying he saw no barrier to that 
extrapolation and, and saying, well, okay, there, there was no barrier, there is no barrier. And that, that shift constitutes an argument from ignorance. Uh, in other words, it, it represents a naturalism of the gaps, and, and Dawkins uh, replicates this. Um, so in The Origin of Species, here's Darwin himself saying, you know, if then we have under nature variability, on the one hand, and a, a powerful agent, natural selection, or already always ready to act and select uh, why should we doubt that variations in any way useful to beings would be preserved and accumulated and inherited and so on so what limit can be put on this power acting during long ages of time favoring the the good i.e., what works and rejecting the bad i.e., what doesn't happen to work he says, I can see no limit to this power in slowly and beautifully adapting each form, blah, blah, blah. So Dawkins replicates this kind of naturalism of the gaps. He, he says, uh, in not in the debate here, but this is a, a quote from um, uh, a YouTube video. Uh, Dawkins says, um, there cannot have been intermediate stages in the process of anything evolving that were not beneficial that there's got to be a series of advantages all the way each little advantage being selected for uh, he says if you can't think of one of a ad advantageous mutation you know uh, then that's your problem not natural selection's problem natural selection well i i suppose that is a sort of matter of faith on my part since the theory is so coherent and, and, and powerful. So as, as John Lomax in the, in the Alabama debate picks up on this, and, and he says, Darwinism does not explain life. It, you know, it may explain certain things about what happens when you've got life, but evolution assumes the existing existence of a mutating replicator it does not explain how that replicator came to exist in the first place uh, i.e. The, the explanatory scope of Darwinism is actually limited it's inadequate to bear the weight that Dawkins puts on it as the atheist philosopher of science Bradley Monton says uh, Darwinian evolution only comes into play once life already exists Darwinian evolution doesn't explain or even purport to explain how life came to arise in the first place. Third and finally, uh, Dawkins' moral subjectivism. In the debate, he says, he talks about, um, quote, something I call the shifting moral zeitgeist, the shifting sort of moral spirit of the age. Uh, that changes from decade to get decade. Um, living as we do in 2007, it would be a broad consensus of what's right and wrong. The consensus has moved on. Right. But, one, truth isn't determined by popularity, is it? And two, a, a moving broad consensus, sort of popular vote that shifts over time, can't ontologically can't in the facts of reality fix any moral facts uh, the consensus has moved on but here's the question in so doing has it become more or less accurate about moral reality about the moral facts actually on on dawkins view uh, 
no <laughs> because he doesn't think there are any moral facts or kind of all he thinks morality is is this popular opinion that changes um, as John Lennox says uh, of course we can be good without God in the sense of our personal behavior but I'm not sure whether we can find foundations for the concept of being good without God um, you admit Dawkins admits that you cannot get ethics from science um, if uh, good and evil don't exist how can you possibly make sense of of talk of the evils of religion or or the good of atheism how can something mindless and impersonal like the universe or our evolutionary history as a species impose a sense of morality upon us and the key thing here is impose a sense of morality upon us that is objectively binding it, it, it impose what something a sense of what really is morally binding upon us rather than saying you know, we feel certain ways about certain things because of our evolutionary history but the question is is that feeling telling us anything true about the facts of the matter or not or is it just nothing more than a, a, a feeling caused by what happened to be useful to our survival and so on you, you kind of end up uh, reducing explaining away what morality is rather than explaining morality you see an objective moral fact objective things are the kind of things that we discover rather than invent so if there are moral facts that we discover rather than morality just being about things we invent by popular vote or whatever an objective moral fact prescribes it's a command it's not merely a description uh, and it obligates we are we are really obligated to behave in a certain way but it would seem just analyzing the very concepts here that prescription requires a prescriber a command has to come from someone who commands it um, the obligation requires someone to whom one is rightly obligated uh, again we can't be obligated by our material history or by the universe if it's an, an impersonal reality so the, the so-called meta-ethical moral argument would go something like this perhaps you know premise one if objective moral facts or values exist then a, a good god exists premise two objective moral values exist conclusion deductively therefore a good god exists now Actually, what goes on here is is Dawkins would deny premise two. Um, here's a, a quote from something Dawkins wrote just the year before this debate. He says, There is a non-overlapping, exhaustive distinction between ideas that are false or true about the real world, factual matters in the broad sense, which are the kind of things that he thinks science tells us about, and only science tells us about and ideas about what we ought to do and normative or moral ideas for which the words true and false have no meaning says Dawkins moral ideas for which the words true and false have no meaning again notice the the underlying scientism indeed you know, verificationism uh, of this uh, statement uh, 
Dawkins is, is sort of pushed to say that that rhetoric of mine, um, Lennox quotes him in the debate uh, about blind physical forces and the indifference of the universe and so on. Uh, you know, DNA neither cares nor knows. Um, Dawkins says to Lennox, maybe you're right that it portrays a hideous world. Uh, well, maybe the world is a hideous world. It doesn't make it not true, you know, just because the idea is hideous. Well, yeah, but if there is no good or evil, what justifies calling such a world, a description of the world, hideous? Uh, where does Dawkins get get this this notion of things possibly being hideous from if the world is as he claims that it is? It seems sort of internally incoherent. Lennox again, he says, clarifying, my point was this, that if you believe that, you know, that there's no good or an evil, you remove from yourself the categories you're using to discuss morality. That's my point. You're assuming it's true that there's no objective good and bad. I'm arguing on, on the, the hypothetical basis of its truth that you are removing those categories and therefore you leave yourself powerless to comment. For example, to comment on the evils of religion, which of course Dawkins is very keen uh, to do. Uh, and this was very interesting, clear in the debate, when, when Dawkins in response to this says to Lennox, you make a good point that I've removed any absolute standard of morality. It seems to, to concede that point at that stage. Um, the deeper point here being that uh, despite rejecting the objective existence of moral values, Dawkins himself is constantly criticising the evils of religion, thereby contradicting himself. He, he, he can't have it both ways. Um, but he, he clearly does try to have it both ways. Um, so this is our, our three key philosophical problems uh, and you begin to notice that they're kind of linked together. Uh, his uh, scientism, uh, you know, the idea that uh, science tells us about facts and that actually leads on and undergirds his moral subjectivism uh, and his philosophical approach to Darwinism. There's actually a sort of underlying assumption of naturalism and naturalism of the gaps which uh, supports uh, and makes more of Darwinism than, than it can bear. There we go.